Well, hello, neighbor. So here we are in this last sermon in this series at Mr. Rogers' house. Um, I thought a lot about it our last time together um, as we were in this series a couple of Sundays ago. And I, I knew you had some questions because we talked about the prophecy of Jesus, about the fact that he would have to answer some questions. And I might have left you with some questions. Questions like this. Why if Jesus was born of Mary and of God, do we get the genealogy of Joseph? So let's answer that today before we begin. Number one is this. Did you know that we're given two genealogies of Jesus in Scripture? In Matthew, we're given the genealogy of Joseph. We're given his family line, which would have been needed for Jesus to be who he was. Because he could not have come from a family with a dad not of the same line and lineage. Joseph would have to check the boxes as well, even though he was not Jesus' biological father. He would have to check the boxes. But we're given a separate genealogy in Luke. Luke chapter 3. In Luke 3, the names are different. And maybe as you're reading along, you, you compared Matthew 1 and Luke 3 together and went, somebody got this wrong. Because there's different names. They're, they're strange. But they all kind of start and end with the same thing. Well, that's because Luke is Mary's genealogy. Now, if you're reading your Bible, you'll see that it says Joseph's name again. But Joseph couldn't have had a different line. But here's the thing about the Bible. Genealogies typically did not hold women in genealogies. It, it was a different time. We live in a great time where you women have, well, more worth. You can attain certain positions. You can hold certain jobs. It's amazing. And so in this day, in biblical understanding, although we see that Mary was cherished, and it's stated there in Scripture that she would be considered one of the best women in all of history because she would be the mother of Jesus. She still probably wouldn't have had a whole lot of worth when it came to genealogies. So now as you kind of see that, scholars believe Matthew is Joseph's and Luke is Mary's genealogies. So if you ever wanted to know, did Mary come from royal blood? Yes. Here's the other thing. I have this in my heart, this thought that just keeps ringing out. Do you believe like I do that Mary was special, but Jesus was so much more so? Because although Mary had a bloodline that was royal, Jesus came from the king. God is his father. It's powerful. It's amazing to know that you and I, because of who Jesus is, can be adopted into that family and are giving full rights as sons and daughters. That's the beauty of Christmas. I want to take you, if you will, for a moment before we get to the text to Bethlehem. If Joseph and Mary both have this bloodline, 
that makes them go to the census in Bethlehem, do you think they traveled alone? I mean, that's what we get, right, in the movies, that it's just like Mary and Joseph against the world. You know, she's riding on the donkey. Joseph is blazing a trail by himself. This is a census of people. If Joseph and Mary come from that line, who has to go with them? Their families have to go, right? Let's talk for just a second about birth. And we won't get graphic, but I just want you to hear this. For those of you that are Bible scholars, could Joseph be present at the birth of Jesus? The answer would be no, because he would be ceremoniously unclean. He wouldn't have been there to watch Jesus get birth. Now, who would have been? Mary's family, his family of women, they could have been there. A midwife, somebody would be there to help Mary. We tend to believe that Mary and Joseph are in the nativity at your house and that there's nobody there with them. But this is Bethlehem. It's crowded with their family. All right, I, I can't, I, I can kind of empathize, but I can't, some, you know, kind of give it all my all because I've not been in your shoes, women, but when, when you're having your child, weren't you just excited that all of your family was there? I mean, you were afterward, but yeah, story changes a little bit more when you know mother-in-law's there, sister-in-law's there, mom is there, sister's there, cousins are there, everybody's there. The crazy part about it is this. We tend to get lost when we don't see the full story. But now that we see the full story, it makes it sadder to know this. A whole family shows up to see Jesus born. But a whole family doesn't follow him the rest of their lives. Who was Jesus? He was the Messiah. Mary knew it. Joseph knew it. And today, God was going to go after an audience that had no clue. You see, in biblical days, there was good jobs and there were bad jobs. A good job would be working around the temple. I mean, that would be a good job. People looked up to you if you were there. An okay job would be a merchant. A merchant was a good job. I mean, you ran your own business. That, that was a great job. I mean, the Proverbs woman, that, that's where she kind of was, if you will. She was in the merchant field. I mean, you can just imagine for a moment all the good jobs there were to have and the bad jobs. I mean, bad jobs would be like somebody that washes feet for a living. Not good. And then there was the worst job, to be a shepherd. You see, shepherds weren't thought of highly. They were the throwaways, the castaways. They would spend day in, day out with sheep in fields. They smelled like sheep. I mean, they probably looked like sheep. <laughs> and they had to defend when no one else would. They had to watch when no one else could. And often they were forgot about. It's why in Scripture there's so many significant moments. Like the priest coming to Jesse's house. 
asking to see his sons. And the one kid they threw away to be a shepherd would be the king. I mean, you start to wonder for a second if Jesus calls us sheep, he called himself the shepherd, thrown away by the world, pushed away when no one would celebrate him. And in this day, this shepherd that came was going to find some shepherds. So why don't you open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, you heard Kelton read it earlier. Did a good job, brother. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This is a crazy moment. Why would they be registered? They'd be registered not so that they would know their number, but so they could be what? Taxed. This is the first registration that took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I want to stop you and just mention something. Bethlehem was overrun with people, but it certainly would have no place for a woman to give birth. You catch that for a second? What innkeeper wants in a world full of people that need to come be registered for a whole space to be taken up for a woman to give birth? So we have this idea in our minds that she has to go to some cave to give birth, right? Like, they, they're, they're put into a cave, and they're like, oh, what can we find? Oh, let's, let's use the, the manger then to put Jesus in. A manger would have been in a great place to put a baby because it would have been soft and easy. But you kind of have to wonder, there's a whole lot of understory to the Christmas story. There's a whole lot of going-ons in this story. And so it says this, verse 8, in the same region. You notice what it, it doesn't say just outside of Bethlehem because shepherds wouldn't have hung out that close to town. They probably would have been registered, by the way, and taxed, but they sure wouldn't have come to town until it was time. They knew their place. Shepherds didn't mix with people at the temple. Shepherds didn't mix with merchants. They were shepherds. Keep your space. See, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you great news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you'll find the baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a, a great multitude of heavenly hosts and angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Did you capture that last sentence? 
It says this, glory to God in the highest heavens and peace on earth to people he favors. You remember what the angel said to Mary? Mary, you are favored by God. And then what does he say to these shepherds, the throwaways, the people with the worst job, the people that are pushed out of town, the people that no one wanted to sit by at synagogue? Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom he favors. I think God loves the people that are thrown away. I think God goes after those people. Because I think that's exactly how he feels. I don't know what your experience is like at Christmas. I don't know if it's a joyous time or it's a a sad time for you. I think there's a mix probably in this room of both. But I will say this, that no matter what emotion you're going through this Christmas season, God feels it. And he certainly felt it in the life of Jesus Christ. I mean, how could you feel more rejected Then even going back to your own hometown, people don't want you there. That was Jesus. The people that you spend the most time with in your life don't get what you're even trying to tell them. That was Jesus. How about your own family who should absolutely get it and be behind you and have your back? They didn't get it. So when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he's felt alone. He's felt pushed away. He's felt ridiculed. He's felt pain. And you know what? He came and was like us so that we and he could smell the same. A shepherd that smells like his sheep. The amazing thing about it is this. He's the good shepherd. And he asks his sheep to smell like him. Can you imagine that for a moment? All your life you've been around shepherds and sheep. (laughs) Every shepherd you've ever met smells like dirtiness and nastiness. Except for one who comes and he smells like the aroma of God himself and all of his sheep smell just like it. That's what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to smell like God to our world. Here's the enemy of smelling like God. To smell like God, you have to know what he says. To smell like God, you have to change your actions to his actions. Because he's the good shepherd. He's supposed to lead us and guide us, direct us and, and discipline us and change us and mold us into his image. You ever seen a shepherd with sheep? I mean, there's a few that have sheep dogs and the sheep dogs run around the sheep. But good shepherds, good shepherds can whistle. And all his sheep come to him. He can open a gate and they all walk through the gate. He can shut the gate and they all stay put. In our area, it looks like cattle. You ever seen a cattleman driving towards his cattle? Knowing full and well that's when they're going to get fed? Cattle can run. And they do when they see that truck coming, don't they? He starts riding down that road and all the cattle look and go, whoa breakfast let's go and they all start running to where he's at it's amazing to watch good shepherds are hard to come by the reason is we live in a world full of broken shepherds like the one speaking to you guys that are given 
the, the gift or the calling to share the word of God with people. But all of us have one thing in common. We're all just sheep with Bibles. None of us are the shepherd. The beauty of this story of Christmas is this. God was sending a sheep that was absolutely a shepherd. And the world didn't care. So God went after people like him. Angels could have gone to anybody, by the way. Right? They could have gone to the king. They could have gone to the Roman guards. I mean, could have gone anywhere. Could have gone to the rest of the tribe of David that was there in Bethlehem. The angels could have appeared there and said, hey, heads up. This baby that's been born to you, this is the Messiah. But they were busy. They were busy being counted. They were busy shaking hands. They were busy high-fiving one another and wishing each other a merry census. And they missed the baby. And so God went to those that weren't busy. He went to the quiet. He went to those that would listen to him. He went to those like Jesus. And so on a quiet, dark night, when there was simply nothing stirring, the the sheep were quiet. You could see the stars because the city was so far off. I mean, have you done that in a while, just driven outside of Amarillo to where the lights fade and the stars come out? That's where they were that night. The stars seemed bright that night to them. But they didn't know what light was, did they? Because it says, I love how it pops up in our scripture. I, I can remember reading this in, in Bibles when I was growing up and saying, lo, or something like that. But here it says in verse 9, Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. I can imagine they were. <laughs> because we don't realize our darkness until true light steps in. And that day, in the middle of nowhere, these men, that the stars, the stars had started to seem bright, that the moon became a, a nightlight, all of a sudden, true light turned out. And here is an angel of the Lord, and the Lord's glory is around them. And for a while, their eyes had to adjust. It's amazing. Jesus' birth was proclaimed in prophecy and in word, and no one would be left out. These shepherds didn't spend their time in the temple reading scrolls and hearing all the prophecies about Jesus, this coming Messiah. No, they had been left out long ago in the quiet, in the darkness, and light showed up. It's powerful to watch this moment. And the angel just reminds them, this isn't a chance to be afraid. This is a chance to party. You don't even realize why I'm here. I know that my presence may be startling, but what should be startling is this. This promise that was given showed up tonight. And of all places, it's within walking distance. Y'all should check this out. Go to Bethlehem. He is there. He is in baby form wrapped in swollen clothes and lying in a manger. You're going to find him, and that's the Messiah. Y'all should go. But that wasn't enough of this story. 
That wasn't enough of this moment. Because I just got to tell you something. Think of what's happening in Bethlehem. It's, it's chaos. It's loud. It's busy. It's, everything's there. And, and everybody's just involved. Everybody's got something happening. And in the midst of chaos, Jesus starts um, and he happens in chaos. His start happens in chaos so that he could reach ours. And the ones that were far from the chaos were ready to listen. Every week that we've done this series, I've given you a chance to be quiet before God. I mean, just a short moment to just sit in quiet and, and really listen to God and hear him speak into your life. Because when we even come into here, we fill it with moments with music, with a guy at a microphone, with lights, with screens. I mean, you're constantly bombarded, even in the midst of worship. And have we lost our ability to be still before God and to really listen? Is our chaos overtaking our obedience? Are we missing God's voice because we're filling it with ours? Oh God, if you would just do this for me, I would be happy. Oh God, if you would just do blank, I would follow you. Oh God, if you would just answer this way, then maybe so-and-so would listen. No, you listen. No, you be still. Be quiet in this moment. Take this moment to really listen to God and hear his voice and let him speak into you. It's okay to be quiet before God. In fact, it may be mandatory to be quiet before God. So take your moment for a moment. In the stillness of this moment, before we finish the sermon time together, let's be still before God for a few seconds. Right where you are, in the quietest moment. I'll give you some time. Lord, it's mesmerizing how deafening quiet is. Our ears don't know how to adjust. Lord, we fill our lives full of sound and busyness. And so when it's quiet, we don't know what to do with ourselves. But Lord, that's where you step in. Lord, it is not our doing of anything that makes us better. It's you. So, Lord, let us be sheep, if not shepherds. Lord, but speak to us. Lord, reveal yourself in our lives, Lord, so that we can be changed by you. Lord, so that we can hear this story anew and realize that you really do care for each of us deeply. So much so that you would send Jesus for us. A baby born to die on our behalf. 
Lord, heal us from ourselves. Lord, save us from ourselves. We pray this in your name. Amen. So you can just imagine the priests that had long awaited a coming Savior who prayed and asked God, would you deliver us? Would sound a lot like that of the cries of those in Egypt. Lord, help us. Rescue us. Save us. And God said, yes. Come to Bethlehem. I'm there. You know, we talked as we went through the first five books of the Bible that God's presence was dwelling amongst his people in the Holy of Holies. That his presence would fall and come down into the very inner part of Holy of Holies. And they would know that God's presence was there. It would dwell richly there. And even in the wilderness, they would pick up and move. And they would move where he went. And they would rest again at the temple. But now God's presence would rest amongst them. It would walk by them down the road. It would hear them in the temple. This God wrapped in flesh, Jesus, would know them. It's powerful to know that God would be so vulnerable like us so that we would be without excuse to be vulnerable with him. We should take down our guards with him, shouldn't we? Of all the things I could imagine you could do at Christmas with God would be this. Don't be fake with him. He's never been fake with you. His people have. I can promise you, look around this room. People have been fake with you all your life. They, they put on their church faces, haven't we? I mean, we showed up at church and we were like, hey, everything's perfect. When back home, everything's on fire. Our relationships are crumbling. Our jobs are suffering. We, we don't know what to do. And so we, uh, uh. but God never does that. He's never been inconsistent. His people have. Yes, he has never been. And he shows up in this way to show you that he can be completely vulnerable. So that when you and I come to him, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have our stories together. We don't have to be looking like the church. No, we just have to come and be vulnerable before him and he will take it from there. He's not asking much. But show up like a child. That's what he's always said. He's been very consistent. Adults ruin things, don't we? We just ruin things. We take the joy out of everything. I mean, we're so sophisticated. We got to act a certain way and talk a certain way. But children don't act like us. Children believe deeply. They hold on to tightly. I mean, you want to know superhuman strength, find a baby and hold their hand for a second. They will break your finger. That's what they do. They hold on tightly. Why is it that we as adults lose so much about God when we should be growing up in him? It's because we start to act foolish as adults. And Christ has called us to act like a child. Believe deeply. Hold on tightly. Take some steps. I can remember when my kids were little and they couldn't walk. They could barely talk. It was all kind of gibberish. And we were constantly hoping they would walk. Why don't you try to walk? Why don't you try and walk? We're picking them up. Walkie, walkie, walkie. 
And then they started walking. And then you couldn't find them. And then all of a sudden they started talking. You couldn't get them to stop. And all of a sudden they're growing up and we're losing them. They're becoming their own people and we wanted to hold on tightly to them. And we're discovering that's not how you parent. You learn to let go and let God have them. But as we've grown up, as we've gotten older in our faith, we should have grown tighter to him, believed deeper in him. But instead, we've become independent from him. As a father, it's heartbreaking to know that my kids will one day move out and move on. I mean, I hear the stories of parents that are like, oh, Soak in the time. It goes by like that. And man, it has. It's gone by in a blink. And in that time, I I hope that they've captured a love for their parents. I hope that they know how much we wanted, wanted them and want to invest in them. But here's the thing. How much more does God love you and want to invest in you? And hopes that as you grow older, that you grow closer instead of further away. see, the story of Christmas is God's invitation to always stay near. Are we doing that? Or are we growing apart? Are we just sending long-distance letters to God in prayer? God, I hope you're doing great today. Weather's fine in Amarillo. That's a lie. Um, But I hope you're great, and I'm good. If you could send money, that'd be great. You can make me popular. That'd be awesome. Signed me. When God is standing in the room saying, I'm right here. Quit writing letters. Just talk. But I believe this. I believe we guard ourselves. I believe we want God to be near but not close. God, would you just be near so if I need you you're there but don't get close because if you got close then people will know and I don't really want people to know so when we sing songs like be near me Lord Jesus I ask you to stay close by me forever it's a great letter but he's in the room why don't we just talk to him do we really want him to be near you see nobody would be untouchable to Jesus' life. Not shepherds, not those in Bethlehem. They all had opportunity. Can you imagine the moment that all the shepherds came into town? I mean, let's just be real for a second. They stunk. And people probably knew they showed up. They're like, man, what is that smell? And they go, oh, it's the shepherds. Where are they going? Hey, go back to your fields, you bums. They're going. If you knew where we were going, you would join the parade. And they show up. And there's Jesus. You see, I believe something about the Christmas story. That God's presence produces worship. God's presence produces worship. And what we do in this room is our belief system. Do you believe that Jesus shows up? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is here? 
Are you sure? I, I, I want to be really sure that you believe this. Do you believe that when two or three are gathered in his name according to his purpose, that God's presence shows up? Do you believe this? Because if you do, then worship happens. Because God's presence produces worship. It always has. It did that day in Bethlehem. It did that day at Calvary. It did in heaven and it does again today. That when God's presence shows up, it produces worship. But it's your belief system that will prove that to be true. Here in a few moments, we're going to have our time of invitation. We do it every Sunday. We have a time at the end of our worship service where you're given an opportunity to do a few things. You're given an opportunity to make a decision. A decision to follow after Jesus with all your heart, with all your life, with all your strength. You're to trade away sin for the sake of gaining Jesus. That's a decision that if you've not made, today is your day. Maybe today you've done that, but you don't have a church home where you're growing and thriving. And you get a decision today to go, man, I want to be a place like Quell Creek where people are going to encourage my faith. It's a decision you can make. Maybe today you have made a decision to follow Christ, but you've never been baptized. You've never taken that first step of obedience. And today you need to be like, hey, I've never done that and I need to be. It's a decision you can make. Can I tell you what we shouldn't do with these next few moments? Be a spectator. Invitation is not an opportunity for us in the crowd to stand and go, who's walking forward? Oh, who went up to pray? Hmm. Huh, that's interesting. I saw them pulling the parking lot. I, they do need to go pray. It's not an opportunity to be a bystander. Because if we believe the presence of God produces worship, that's our job. We're to worship God because his presence is here. And our belief will say, you know what? I need to worship because he's in the house. I will worship you, Lord, because you're here. Lord, thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this season where we can separate time away from work and everything else. To be with our family, not to open presents, but to worship you. May the Lord receive worship he's due because his presence is always here. And it's our job to worship him. So let me just tell you, if you're not going to come and pray, and men, we need to pray. If you're not going to come and pray, if you're not coming to make a decision this morning, then what we should be doing is worshiping. Because he's worthy of our worship. And if he doesn't use this room, there are still shepherds. May we be found now to be worshipers of Jesus. Let me pray for you. Lord, that's my prayer. That we would take it seriously, Lord, today. That we can worship you. Lord, your presence is here. Lord, your presence has always been here. You've always waited to engage us. You've always wanted to speak to us and Lord we repent of the moments that we've wasted not worshiping you instead being lost in the trappings and in the time and in our judgments instead Lord let us be found as people who point our lives towards you Lord call us Lord speak to us Lord send us Lord, direct us, but Lord, may we be still enough to notice when you do so. 
So Lord, fill this moment with your presence. Lord, may it fall thick on this place. And Lord, may we be captivated with your presence now in such a way that we would never be left the same again. Lord, would you come? Lord, would you speak? Lord, would you move? And Lord, commission your church to worship. Lord, where your presence is, it demands worship. You are holy, God. You are holy. And may we treat you like that today. Praise you, Lord, for who you are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? Now is your time. Now is the time to make that decision. You come as we worship him.